Hi everyone, we are United Nations Association St Andrews and this is our Global Politics Recap for January. I'm Anna Pilgrim and today's podcast is brought to you by Veronica Meyer, Emilia Novio and Charlie Folds. Political tensions between the Democratic Republic of Congo and Rwanda are quickly worsening, according to East African mediators. The Democratic Republic of Congo's president has reiterated his claim that, quote, Rwanda is supporting the M23 rebels, end quote, in an attempt to create insecurity in the eastern parts of the country, and the Rwandan government has been accused of starting a proxy war. This is a claim that Rwanda denies, and in response has accused the Democratic Republic of Congo of perpetuating conflict and failing to stick to a peace agreement made last month. The M23 group says they are fighting to protect those with Tutsi ethnicity, and have made claims that the Russian mercenary group Wagner have a presence in the country, which the government has denied. M23 has been condemned by the UN as the cause of 400,000 people fleeing their homes. Towards the end of the month, a Democratic Republic of Congo fighter jet was shot by Rwanda, which claimed the jet had violated their airspace, although the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo denies this and accused the Rwandan government of, quote, a deliberate act of aggression that is equivalent to an act of war, end quote. A rebel attack by the ADF group on a village killed at least 20 people, and a spokesperson for M23 claimed to have taken over Kitshanga, a town in the North Kivu province. The Rwandan president has reversed his decision to not offer refuge to those fleeing the Democratic Republic of Congo, having previously said that these refugees were, quote, not Rwanda's problem, end quote. This is not the only ongoing situation in the Democratic Republic of Congo. In the Aturi region, from which 1.5 million people have been forcibly displaced since 2017, the UN peacekeepers have found mass graves, which included the corpses of children. These deaths are speculated to be a result of conflicts between Kodako, a military group from the Lendu farmer community, and Zare, a group fighting on behalf of the Hema herder communities, although the UN has said that it needs to do further investigation before this can be confirmed, as other militias operate in the area, including M23. Rwanda itself has drawn international attention following the death of a journalist under suspicious circumstances in January. John Williams Natali had received threats and been regularly attacked in pro-government media for his investigative work, and now groups including Amnesty International are calling for a proper investigation into his death. Instability continues in the Tigray region, following two years of fighting between the Ethiopian army and the Tigray People's Liberation Front, despite a truce deal last November. Tigrarian forces have begun surrendering heavy weaponry this month in what the African Union has called a, quote, step in the right direction, end quote. French and German ministers have arrived in Addis Ababa, the Ethiopian capital, to back the peace agreement and discuss what will happen next, including accountability, war crime justice and tackling food and water insecurity, as well as a shortage of medicines as a result of the conflict. Ethiopian media has reported that over 8 million people are experiencing some degree of water shortages. Earlier in the month, Ethiopian defence forces had withdrawn from Shire, a large city in the region, but there are concerns that Eritrean troops fighting in support of the Ethiopian government will not do the same, as they have previously stated that they will not leave until the Tigray rebel forces are disbanded. The Tigray People's Liberation Front and the Eritrean People's Liberation Front had fought together against Ethiopia's Derg regime in 1991, resulting in Eritrean independence and power in Ethiopia for the Tigray People's Liberation Front, but the two are now enemies following a border war at the turn of the century. 
A mediator from the African Union has claimed that all Eritrean forces had left the Tigray region, but the Tigray People's Liberation Front say this isn't true. An estimation from the African Union has said that around 600,000 people had died during the two years' war, whilst the head of the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission, Daniel Bekele, has said that the figure is hard to determine and could lie anywhere between 100,000 and 1 million deaths. Another opposition group, called the Oromo Liberation Army, which is active in the Oromo region, have orchestrated attacks on 25 security forces in the Amhara state and a prison, leading to the escape of 480 prisoners. They have been officially prescribed a terrorist organisation by the Ethiopian government since 2021. This month, they released a manifesto that called for, quote, the international community through the United Nations and or other mechanisms to find out the truth and live up to its pledge of never again, end quote. They continue to state that, quote, On our part, we continue to call for credible, internationally mandated independent investigations into the atrocities or reports of atrocities committed in Aromia, end quote. Ethiopia is home to 80 ethnic groups, with some communities fighting militarily against ethnic cleansing in the country. Burkina Faso is now partnering with Russia to fight terrorism following the collapse of its diplomatic relations with France. Previously, France had a deal that allowed French troops in Burkina Faso, leaving 400 special forces in the country. Protests occurred likely because the French did not do enough to protect Burkina Faso from Islamist insurgencies coming from Mali. The deterioration of relations with the French was also caused by the deployment of mercenaries in Burkina Faso by the Wagner Group. It appears that this collaboration and the embracement of Russia follows a similar trend with neighboring Mali. Sources report that public opinion in Burkina Faso is increasingly pro-Russia. However, in the month of January 2023, 66 women and children were kidnapped by suspected militant jihadists in an unprecedented event. This occurred in the north of a country, an area continuously hit by insurgency. On the nights of the 12th and the 13th of January, the women were kidnapped while gathering food. They were later found a few days later, 200 kilometers south of where they were taken. Insurgencies have made it very difficult for people to access basic necessities. The overall humanitarian situation in the country has become desperate, as lack of food supplies has resulted in severe hunger. The UN advocated for the immediate and unconditional release of the adopted woman. The month of January 2023 saw what could have been the world's largest COVID-19 outbreak when China lifted all of their strict pandemic measures that had existed for three years following nationwide protests. China's zero-COVID policy, which involved mass lockdowns, testing, and contact tracing, was dismantled with limited warning in December. It is difficult to gauge the number of people in China with the virus, as China's National Health Commission has stopped reporting daily figures in December 2022. Local governments report high numbers of infections, like the Henan Providence, where officials say that 89% of the area's 99 million residents have contracted the virus. Authorities are reporting that the worst of the outbreak is done with the peaking in December. However, there are preparations in place for a surge following the Lunar New Year. This Lunar New Year, China saw 226 million domestic trips taken. The effectiveness of the zero COVID policy is now being tested with it initially keeping death rates low throughout the pandemic. However, it has now left Chinese civilians with little natural or herd immunity. China has received criticism for the World Health Organization for only reporting deaths from COVID patients with respiratory failure. Now it includes COVID patients with underlying health conditions.
The United Nations has condemned the recent killing of aid workers in South Sudan. On January 2nd, 2023, an armed attack occurred on the Rumamir village, killing two aid workers and numerous civilians. These workers were shot while at work in the village's humanitarian facility. This area is an oil-rich area located on the contested border between Sudan and South Sudan. A similar incident has also occurred this month in Duke County, resulting in the death of another humanitarian worker. While deaths are less common, violence against humanitarian workers in South Sudan is fairly frequent. On the 18th of January, another attack occurred in a compound in Pibor, where a humanitarian worker was beat to the point of needing medical attention. The UN Humanitarian Agency said in a statement that these men targeted the NGO looking for assets like cash and other valuables, along with just basic humanitarian supplies. In 2022, nine humanitarian aid workers were killed while at work in South Sudan, with an additional 450 incidents reported. These incidents are coming at a time when the Sudan and South Sudan are in talks about creating a joint border force to secure their 1,800-kilometer border. Check out the December update for more information on how the UN has been monitoring the conflict in South Sudan. Amid protests impacting the deeply divided Peru, President Dina Boluarte has refused to step down. The protests were triggered at the arrest of Peru's former president, Pedro Castillo, after attempting to suspend Congress after losing the vote. He has remained in custody on charges of conspiracy and rebellion. Mr. Castillo contends that he is the rightful president and his supporters demand a re-election. The protests have come as citizens have come to Peru's capital from rural areas to demonstrate as their voices have often been left behind, especially its indigenous citizens. These events have left dozens dead, causing alarm on the international stage. The military in Somalia has captured a strategic coastal town that Al-Shabaab had held for more than a decade. The prime minister said the enemy of the nation had been destroyed, and the loss of the port and supply route is seen as a setback for Al-Shabaab. Furthermore, authorities in Somalia say that 26 people have been killed and more injured in the Tuesday morning attack at the military base in Hadwali town in the middle of Shabal region. The dead included five government officials and 21 fighters from the Al-Shabaab militant group. The attack began after a suicide bomber stormed the base. Heavy gunfire and explosions. Heavy gunfire and explosions could be heard early on Tuesday as the army clashed with the militants. The attack comes just days after the army captured the strategic board of Hardahir, which has been held by the Al Shabaab for 15 years. The Somalian president has said the government will soon launch the second phase of an offensive against the Al-Qaeda-allied Al-Shabaab militants in the southwest, where the group controls several towns and villages. The authorities in Edo State in southern Nigeria says the last two hostages from a group of people who were kidnapped from a train station in the state almost two weeks ago have now been released. Seven suspects, including two village chiefs, have also been arrested and are currently in police custody. Twenty people were kidnapped from the Iguabun train station by armed men on the 7th of January. Six victims were freed within 48 hours and a further 12 victims were rescued by security services and armed vigilantes over the weekend in a separate rescue operation. Uganda has declared an end 
to an Ebola outbreak that killed more than 50 people. The announcement follows a 42-day period without any new confirmed cases. The health minister, Jane Ruth, said, We have successfully controlled the Ebola outbreak in Uganda at a ceremony on Wednesday. The outbreak, which began last September, caused particular concern as it was caused by the Sudan strain of Ebola for which there is no vaccine. Sierra Leone has passed an historic law to improve women's rights, including better employment rights. Under the new Gender Equality and Women's Empower Act, 30% of government and private sector jobs in the country are reserved for women, according to an official statement. Women will now benefit from ring-fenced senior positions in the workplace, at least 14-week-long maternity leave, and equal access to bank credit and training opportunities. Former Afghan MP Marisol Nabizadeh and her bodyguard were shot dead at her home in Kabul on the 15th of January. Nabizadeh was one of the few female parliamentarians who remained in Kabul following the Taliban seizing of power in August of 2021. Her death was the first time a member of the previous administration was killed since the Taliban takeover. Also in Afghanistan, at least seven major international aid groups have suspended their vitally needed operations due to the Taliban's ban over female aid workers. The acting head of the UN mission in Afghanistan met with Taliban leaders in an attempt to persuade them to withdraw said ban, as the suspension of NGO aid has left Afghanistan's economy on the brink of potential collapse. The NGOs are critical for the provision of healthcare, education, child protection and nutrition services, as well as support amid the current worsening conditions. In terms of the Ukrainian-Russian war, this month, a helicopter crash in Ukraine near a kindergarten on the 18th of January killed 14 people, including a Ukrainian minister who helped shape Ukraine's war policy. Denise Monastirsky was the highest-ranking government official to die since Russia's invasion began last February. We still do not know the cause of the crash, but pilot error, technical malfunction and sabotage are all options and are currently under investigation. Eric Moss, the head of an investigative team organised by the United Nations Officer of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, stated that, based on evidence gathered by the Commission, it has concluded that war crimes have been committed in Ukraine. The investigation looked into humanitarian crimes in four Ukrainian regions. As of the 29th of January, the OHCHR verified a total of 7,110 civilian deaths. Of those deaths, 438 were children. The most recently updated numbers by the Internal Displacement Monitoring Centre are from the 5th of December 2022, but they state that 5,914,000 people have been internally displaced, with a further at least 8 million Ukrainian refugees who have registered across Europe as of the 20th of January. The United States has announced a new military aid package for Ukraine, which is worth £1.8 billion and will include military operations, firing units, weapons and small diameter bombs for the first time, which is a major development in Ukraine's military capability. Both Germany and Portugal have also committed to sending leopard tanks to Ukraine after weeks of hesitation. People are unsure how Western allies sending tanks to Ukraine 
will affect the war, but hopefully it will help prioritise Ukrainian safety. January has seen a string of attacks in Palestine, which has included a military raid and airstrikes by the Israeli forces on the town of Jenin, attacking what they had labelled, quote, militant sites, end quote. The Palestinian presidency has called this a massacre by Israel. Jenin has previously been the site of an Israeli incursion in 2002, in which 52 Palestinians and 23 Israeli soldiers died. It is estimated that almost 40 Palestinians have been killed already this year, over a fifth of the number of those killed last year. Towards the end of the month, around 110,000 people protested in Tel Aviv against the new government, following mass protests in a total of four cities in two weeks. The Israeli government is attempted to instate a reform that would allow it to override any court opposition to future laws, which some are calling an attempt to prevent Prime Minister Netanyahu from going to jail should he be found guilty in his current corruption trial. And that's the recap done for this month. The United Nations St Andrews would like to thank you for listening to the podcast.